0: Welcome to The Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy. The Mental Cast is a podcast focused on the topics and people helping drive us forward in leadership, learning, and our personal journeys. Just a reminder, you can send in your questions using the hashtag AskDanMickle, A-S-K-D-A-N-M-I-C-K-L-E, or sending an email to info at danmickle.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Mental Cast. Here is the host of The Mental Cast, Dan Mickle.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to The Mental Cast. I'm your host, Dan Mickel, and a very special guest with us this week, the all-star DJ, Jeremy Roche, Hello,
2: DJ. Thank, thank you for having me. I love uh, being an all-star. I've been called an MVP. Uh, wow, I'm an all-star. So I'll take it. Nice. So um, before we like
1: really dive into your path and plan, you want to give a little bit background about you know where you come from, what you do now, and then we'll kind of talk about the journey.
2: Sure. I grew up in Virginia, right outside Washington D.C., and moved to California. I think I turned twenty like a week later and then been in have been in California ever since. Was DJing part time back in Virginia just as a hobby. Moved to California and then in two thousand two I started my DJ company. So I started DJing full time and then two thousand three stumbled into sports DJing with the A V P and here I am now and that's gotten me to travel around the world, started music producing, started because why not? What else am I gonna do? And uh I think that's the quick bio on me.
1: So you set that up perfectly. Like, so you're you're 20 and you're in Virginia. What makes you wake up one day and like, I just need to get out of here, <laughs> right? Like, was it that bad, or it was, or was it the ambition and you thought, well, whatever I want to do, I can't do it here.
2: Uh, it was probably just being a stupid teenager is really the answer to that question. It um, no, I love Virginia. I had no issues. Where I was growing up, loved it, still love it to this day. A good friend of mine who was the guy that taught me how to DJ was looking to go to grad school and got accepted into Loyola Marymount University out here. And one day we were just hanging out and he's like, oh, you know, when you move, you always like to have, if you have a roommate, you'd like it to be somebody that you know. And I just was like, I'll go. And that was, that was literally it. I was 18 or 19. And then six months later, I was living in California. Wow. So you get to California
1: and it's hard enough being a DJ and finding gigs locally when you know the, the area and now you move into this huge market. So I imagine that you've probably seen the, the wonderful underbelly of the California club scene. Um, like w- what's it like and what happens
2: when you Man, get out well, there? Yeah. Well, when I first got out here, you know, DJing full time, wasn't something that even crossed my mind. It was just something that I thought I would do on the weekends. Cause at that time I was doing corporate events or weddings and you know, things of that nature. I don't even think I'd done a club. I, I hadn't, I, yeah, I definitely hadn't even DJed in a club yet. So moving to California, I didn't even know if DJing would be a thing. And then, you know, I have the equipment and you know, word gets around, you do DJ a friend's event or, you know, you DJ, your company's party because you know because you're an intern you're like hey i can dj realize not having a clue what i'm doing um because even at that time when i first started djing i didn't know how to beat match yet so it's just fade up fade down and the skill of that was i knew what songs to play like what vibes kept going but i had no idea how to beat match so i eventually taught myself how to beat match before there was youtube and i was like oh there's bpms of the song and if i catch it on the one or on the hi-hat, then, oh, that's how you beat match, right? So those are things that took me a little while to learn. Um, And then I actually got the AVP before I ever DJed a club, I think. And because of the AVP, they got my name out there a little bit, and I could be like – got into some clubs around the South Bay here in Southern California in Hermosa, Manhattan, Redondo. And because I was the AVP DJ, I was able to get into some clubs that way. Um, The club scene since then has changed a lot. Like back then – It used to be if you could rock a party, we'll take care of everything else. Now it's how many people can you bring with you? Like the mainstream clubs, right? It's how many people can you bring with you regardless of what your actual DJ skill is. Um, So I actually felt fortunate that the sports world has kept me out of some of that political stuff that I didn't have to play just to be in the club still every weekend. Um, I'll still do occasional club gigs throughout the year, but I don't have to do the... um, because of my resume and stuff like that, that gets me in the door. And I don't have to, you know, be like, "Hey, I can bring a thousand people with me, and we're going to sell fifteen bottles of table service for you know five thousand dollars a piece." But uh, you know, people got to make money. You know,
1: absolutely. So, when you look at it, wait, I don't want to go into this question yet because I think there's still way too much of the story. <laughs> um, so, just remind me to come back to the club okay. and the AVP thing. um so so you get how do you get the avp like how do you get the call for the avp because i I mean this was in a probably a weird time for the avp right like it was post glory days but not completely downtrodden yet
2: right it was post glory days and it was just coming out of um one of their bankruptcies so I got the AVP gig in 2003, in the management at that time, Leonard Armado and his management team, I believe, had reacquired it like the year before. So they'd only done like a year of, the, of it starting up again before I got the job. And when they brought me in, they wanted to go more towards the FIVB style of music, like you hear now, where there's a point, there's a there's a song after every single point after time, every time the ball hits the ground. But at that time when they, I think they were so new at it and the way they explained it to me, I just thought they in music all the time. So from the time I walked onto the sand until it was over, like I was playing music all day long, um, which is how it is now. If you come to an AVP, then it's just music all day long until you get to the finals. Then I kind of do it more F I V V style. Um, so whether that was what they had in mind or just how I inter- interpreted what they asked, um, that's where we are now and i got it because i i was working i was interning at a record label when i first moved to california then i got a job at that record label and then i bounced around some music industry companies and the company i worked for went bankrupt and at that point i was like well let me try this dj thing full time that was in 2002 and then towards the end of 2002 yeah, when I started my company, it was April of 2002, and then towards the end of 2002, I ran into a former coworker, and she's like, "Hey, what are you doing now? I'm DJing full time. Oh, I know somebody that needs a DJ for some volleyball thing, and that was the AVP. That's how it happened. I, I thought I literally I say this all the time. I, the way that she presented it to me, I thought it was gonna be like somebody's like family reunion backyard barbecue. Like they had a net in the backyard, and I would just be DJing their afternoon party. I didn't realize it would turn into me being the official DJ for the AVP Pro Beach Volleyball Tour.
1: What was your exposure to volleyball and AVP before that?
2: Um, I actually started playing. Uh, I, uh, looking back at my life, I realized I loved volleyball even as a kid. But there was nowhere in Northern Virginia for me to participate in volleyball. It was still thought of as a uh, girl sport at that time. And so there was no teams for like club boys stuff for me to play in at all whatsoever. But I always found myself... Watching it in, you know, the ninety, uh, the Atlanta Olympics, catching it on TV on, on NBC or whatever it was back in the day with Karch and Kent and all of them. Like I remember being attracted to it. Then a, a sand court was built in my neighborhood, and so me and my friends just went out there and hacked around. We thought we were awesome. And then when I moved to California, because I like volleyballs down the beach, I actually knew some of the AVP players before being on tour um so my education the way I was taught how to play beach volleyball was by the professionals which I I don't know how much better of an education you can get not only (laughs) right watching it in the DJ booth being able to hang out with them afterwards but then some of them would come into the DJ booth and I could pick their brain about the strategy of the game so that's how I learned the sport itself but looking back realized how much I really really liked it so being able to DJ it And watch a sport that I love. I just kind of, I mean, I really lucked into it. Let's just be honest.
1: So it's your first event. Where's your first event at? As first event, official DJ,
2: Fort Lauderdale, Florida. (laughs) Oh, that's rough. Yeah. And um, my favorite story from that event, I have no like looking. I had no idea what I was doing. Like, not realizing how much music you really need to play eight hours a day. And when we got to the finals. Or like levels, how loud I was. I remember during the finals, I was rocking out and then the generator ran out of gas. So all the electricity went out. The fans applauded because the music was turned off. (laughs) (laughs) So I realized at that point, like the way where I was, where the DJ booth was and the way the speakers were, I was behind the speakers. So I couldn't hear how loud they were. And the speakers were like in the stands pointing at people's faces. I was murdering people with the volume level so when they started clapping when the music went off i was like oh maybe i should adjust those levels so I think, I think i've gotten better since then but you'd have to ask the fans
1: i mean it's hard as someone that was a recreational i say recreational because i mean i got like 150 dollars a weekend to dj in a club but depending on your booth like one of the clubs i'm behind the speakers the other one i'm in front of the speakers and you just have no clue like no clue you you try and read the faces and see what's going on. If no one's wincing, hey, you know. say with the beat matching, right? Did I do it right? Well, let me see if there's yeah. anyone squinting and uh, <laughs> scratching their head a little bit. But
2: well, and that's the thing. After like you, I, unfortunately, I had to learn it that way. But then you just learn to trust what the levels are on the amplifiers or on the deck, and be like, it may. I I would have then. I had to educate people on the staff as well too. Like, oh well, I can't hear it here. I was like, yeah, because all the speakers are facing away from the court. So it's definitely not going to be as loud. And when you're in an outdoor environment, that makes it even harder. If the speakers are spread out across the stadium, if the wind is blowing one direction, it will push the highs and the mids of the audio a certain direction. So one side of the stadium is going to be getting crushed just because the wind's blowing that way, where the other side, even speakers facing at them, they're not going to hear it the same way. So there are all kinds of issues you got to go through being outside.
1: It's funny because my next question was going to be sort of, based on like the worst experience. And I was expecting either the generator running out or the equipment getting too hot and just kicking off, which I'm sure, sure happens a ton.
2: The generator kicking out. That was the only time I remember the generator kicking out. My laptop overheated in Seattle one time. Um, the rain started dumping into the DJ booth. Fortunately, we had a tarp like two minutes before that. It went from like zero to a hundred rain. Um, and then another time in New Orleans, the first day of the of the main draw, it was so windy. I set up my laptop and my controller on the table in the booth. And as soon as I set it up, the wind blew it down the table. So you, that, that <laughs> I literally was... immediately closed my laptop, grabbed the controller, put it in my backpack, plugged an iPod in and told Donald, uh, the owner of the AVP, like, I, I, I just can't. I'm not gonna be able to DJ up there today because there's 25 mile an hour sustained winds whipping through the DJ booth, blowing my equipment. If, even if it's not heavy equipment, it, for it to be able to blow my laptop and the equipment down the table, I I couldn't have, couldn't have that.
1: Yeah, that was wasn't that like Misty's big comeback, like the first comeback, because yes. that was like the monsoon and like yes trying to watch it on TV and you couldn't see anything and it
2: completely- literally was like 25 to 30 mile an hour sustained winds all weekend long from like the time the tournament started until it ended Ugh, i can't even imagine
1: um okay so you're on the avp you're finding your groove for probably a couple of years or whatever how do you then what what's what's the next call like who, who's the next call to you and and how does that come
2: yeah, the next major one was the NBA with the Los Angeles Clippers. Because the because of the ABP, I had done a few other one-off sporting events. There was a rugby event I did, um, a swimming event that Michael Phelps was at, some water polo. I'd done a couple one-off sporting events, and the lady who was in charge of those events got hired by the Clippers to run their game entertainment, and because she apparently liked me, um, when she got the job, she called me up and she was like, Hey, would you like to work for the Clippers as well? And I was like, so I get to play music in the summertime for volleyball. And in the opposite season, I get to play music for basketball. The two sports that I really enjoyed, I played soccer growing up, um, but basketball and volleyball are sports I really love. So I was like, so I get to get paid to play music and watch sports that I love. So absolutely. And that was in, that was a two thousand four two thousand five season, so that would have I would have got I got that call in the middle of my second season with the AVP to join the Clippers in the NBA.
1: So which one made your stomach sicker, walking up the stands the first time at the AVP, being a young DJ or starting to come up in the world, but having this? I mean,
2: that's a pretty massive gig, um, in in the clip. I was more nervous with the AVP just because I had never done anything like that before Um, but there was also I was very naive so I didn't know what I didn't know so I wasn't as nervous as people would probably think and then going to the Clippers at that time they were dead terrible so and even on that job like I knew the game and I had watched some NBA games once I knew I was getting the gig of like okay how do they do music um so I wasn't as nervous because the stadium wasn't that full. There was really no pressure because the team was dead terrible. And I kind of learned on the job, which I feel very fortunate about because you wouldn't be able to do that today. Today you have to come in and know exactly what you're doing. So like that kind of NBA entertainment was new at that time. So I was fortunate with my timing of that. Um, and then looking back now, I was thinking about how terrible I was. And not that I played the wrong songs or did anything incorrect. I just didn't know enough yet. Um, so it's kind of embarrassing when I think back about it. But, you know, when the first Mac came out, it was a big computer and had a green screen. It's not what it is today. So. Right, right.
1: Um, so is there like a, a fraternity of NBA DJs or like, I know you have some friends. I, I see you mention sometimes, uh, I don't know, Chicago or, or Minnesota or, or someone that you were friends with. And but it, is that how it is? Does like everyone know everyone who's the DJ and, and does the music or does everyone not have a DJ?
2: No, I think at this point, everybody does. Um, there's a little differences in how each team, uh, like my, my good friend, DJ Shauna for the Milwaukee Bucks, she does all of the music at Milwaukee Bucks games, where for me at Lakers games now, I get to DJ more, where during gameplay itself, um, our music director, who does like the organ, and then you hear all the music, the stuff you probably hear on TV, another person does. Um, so some arenas do that some just have one some people don't necessarily have uh, they have a dj that just plays pregame and halftime like they kind of do things differently but because there's only 30 teams in the nba if i don't know every dj i know somebody that knows them and you know we all have a group text and a instagram chat group and we'll chime in with each other and give each other ideas or be like hey i saw that was an amazing game last night like the uh Four Corners, who's the DJ for the Toronto Raptors, when Kawhi Leonard hit that game winner last year in the playoffs, I immediately hit him up was like, man, I can only imagine what that was like because that was a home game. Because like, it doesn't matter what song you play at that point because nobody's going to hear it because that stadium is so loud. And I, I know what that feeling is like, so I was very right. happy for him. Yeah. So you, you, you're there with the Clippers, and
1: they start to turn it around. Yep. And, like, I, I guess you kind of feel like, you're turning it around too, right? Like, I mean, it's – anytime you're playing in any venue, whether it's a club or I imagine, because I've never done a stadium, but you feel like you have some part of it, some some sense of it. Um, so what was it like going from, oh, God, these guys are horrible, to, you know, contenders and, you know, I, I guess I, I really don't know my basketball history. I guess that's probably what Blake Griffin all that, right? Or, yeah, when or, it
2: kind of turned to Lob City. they had, I think they had only made the playoffs – once or twice in their you know in the Clippers tenure before I even got there so there was no you know when you hear about winning cultures and things like that like that's a true thing like not only does the team need to learn how to win the whole organization needs to learn that as well so we I felt like we were all kind of doing it together especially our game entertainment staff that had been together for so long like you see it and you can feel the difference of at the beginning of the season, when you're like, Hey, this team is good. We have a chance of going to the playoffs as opposed to, you know, driving to the arena, there's no chance you're going to win that game. Those are two different feelings. And the knowing that you're not going to win the game is a terrible feeling to go to the event that way, where, you know, like, unless the other team doesn't show up, the Clippers aren't going to win tonight. Right. So going from that to, Hey, we have a legitimate shot. Um, and by the time they had a legitimate shot, I've been doing it long enough, but I will say my first year in the playoffs with the Clippers, I asked people, other music people around the NBA, people uh, at the Staples Center staff that had been there for, because some of the Staples Center staff works both Lakers and Clippers, so asking them about playoff atmosphere, because like anything, if you've never been there before, you don't know, so I was trying to ask as many questions as I could to prepare myself as best I can, because it's still, it's just a basketball game, but the energy level is that much higher, even when you walk in the door. Um, so I felt fortunate that I had a few years under my belt to kind of practice to get to that point. And then when we got to the playoffs, I felt pretty ready to go.
1: Did, um, is there a lot of interaction between the talent and you, like not saying like, Hey, I'm hanging out with, you know, Blake Griffith or or, or any of those guys, but do there people come to you and say like, Hey man, he really likes this song or helps him get in a groove. Does does that actually happen? Or do you just kind of learn
2: it? Or is there just no correlation at all a little all the above I, I've never had too much interaction with any of the NBA players some of the other DJs around the league like actually hang out with the players and are friends with them um, and either some of them have, have known them growing up or others like it's just the way that their organization is with the Lakers now the way if you go to a Lakers game, everything is focused on the court and about basketball, which I'm a big fan of. So now that I'm in the stands and the fans can see me, it's still more about the players. So like they might show me on the video board once or twice, but it's not about me there. So it's about the game. So I don't, I don't really have much interaction, but we have player personnel that'll email me every once in a while our game entertainment staff will do things for the players wanting to know what songs they like. Cause I want to know what they like. Cause I want, cause during warmups, that's their time. I want to play everything that they like during warmups. So I tried to find that stuff out, but uh, LeBron and I aren't hanging out that often.
1: (laughs) What? So when you're at the Clippers, who's at the Lakers? Like who's your counterpart during that time? Oh yeah.
2: So, so when I first started with the Clippers, it was all me. I did all the music all the time and I describe it more as, um, I wasn't really DJing, it was more just kind of triggering music, fade up, fade down. And then a few years later, we got DJ Dents. And Dents would spin during warm-ups and at halftime, and then everything else was me. So I kind of took more of a music director role at that point. Um, but at the time with the Lakers, there was a guy named Dieter, who was pretty famous in Los Angeles because he's, he's uh, done tons of NBA All-Star games because he does all the organ prompts as well, too. So he does all the organ prompts live. He's the Dodgers organist now out here in Los Angeles too. So he was the – he did all that stuff in all my years when I was with the Clippers. He was the guy on the Lakers.
1: And, and did you did you guys, like, cross paths? Like, since you're sharing the Staples Center, is it, like – hey, don't touch this, or yeah. or, or, or hey, this is or a stick-it note on something, hey, this is acting up, be careful, yeah. or is it this, like completely separate? This says
2: Lakers on it, don't you dare touch. Um, <laughs> we did share a lot of the same equipment. Obviously, the keyboard that he used for the organ, I, I didn't do that kind of thing, but uh, some of the equipment was the same because it was owned by Staples Center. And then we would cross paths every once in a while when there would be double headers. Like if he had the early game and I had the later game, I would still, I would get there by the time – their game was ending, so our paths would cross and uh, like I said, the world is so small that we would have probably been in communication anyways if we didn't weren't in the same city or the same building um but now the it's still similar, like uh Joel, who does the music directing for the Lakers now, sits up top where Dieter used to sit, and um now I'm in the stand, so I'm not in the same area, but you know it's. The only thing that's different when you come to the game is all the signage and stuff like that. Staples Center looks pretty similar.
1: So how do you get the call from the Lakers, and did you know it was coming? Like, were there rumblings like a switch was coming, and you're like, man, I hope I get this, or you never even thought about it, or does the phone just randomly ring one day and be like, hey, how do you like to switch from Thursday nights to Friday nights? Yeah,
2: exactly. Uh, How would you like to be on the team that everybody knows? Um, They – during Kobe's last season, I had a feeling that they would be making a musical change um, just because I'd heard um, them doing that. Not necessarily that they're looking for somebody new, just that that, that would be the time there going to be a transition with Kobe retiring. It would make sense to do, try some new things. Um, and during that time, that last season with the Clippers was going to be my last season. Um, even I I don't know if the Clippers wanted me to come back the next year, but I personally, I was, I needed a new challenge. I was kind of bored in my position of nobody's fault other than my own. There was only so much I could do. And towards the end of that season, I got, I heard, I was like, Hey, the Lakers are looking to make a change, but actually like a change with the person that plays the music or bring me, bring somebody in that can add to their musical vibe. And they're like, would you be interested? And I, I, I almost said, is that a dumb? Are you, why are you asking me a dumb question? But I didn't say that because I'm more of a professional because (laughs) uh, yeah, of course. So actually at the beginning of that season with the Clippers, my last season with them, my brain, I was working on, this is going to be my last year in the NBA. And then you get the call about the Lakers and you're like, yeah, that would, uh, I'm into that. And that would look great on my resume. So you're in your
1: groove, you're with the Lakers. Like, Probably just a different feel and vibe, right? Like, I mean, you have, this, you have this history following you. They're even when they're bad, they're in prime time. Like, how's that change your work ethic? Not, not that you were phoning it in with the Clippers, but I feel like there are probably a lot more nights awake trying to figure out or pre-plan than there than there were previously.
2: Yeah. Well, so then, with my criteria coming over to the Lakers, was I didn't want to keep doing what I was doing my job at the Clippers, which I felt like was just kind of pushing buttons of what they told me they wanted me to play. So with the Lakers, I actually got, get to DJ. Um, So I get to actually, when the doors open for the fans to come in, I start playing music. I get to play music while the players are warming up and actually getting to be on the turntables and or the controller and like backspin do effects. like actually get to DJ um, as opposed to just fade up, fade down type of situation. Um, And then somebody else does like all the in-game prompts and all that stuff. So I can, during gameplay, I can actually watch the game and be prepared for the next time out. So my job is, even though it's still music, I get to do it differently than I was doing at the Clippers. So it's a, it was refreshing to think like, okay, I actually, let me think about, even though it's probably only like a 15 minute DJ set for players warmups, like I want to make it different every game so it doesn't get stale. Uh, so that's always a challenge every game. Like, okay, what can I do today? Cause this song is hot, but we had a game two days ago. Like, do I play it again this game or do I wait till our next game? The players are going out of town for a week. Like try not to make it boring for them and to keep myself entertained. Right. Like it still has to get me fired up. So I can't be doing the same thing over and over again. So I wouldn't necessarily say sleepless nights, but there's, because I was with the Clippers for so long, like you can kind of go on autopilot where now, you know, I want to, do a different set every game. So it just maybe more time preparing, getting there, but it doesn't cause me to lose sleep.
1: In the sense of this year, it's probably been a pretty rough year on multiple levels from, from the Lakers standpoint, sports, you know, everything. Um, I, I don't want to go down this dark path by any stretch of imagination, but like, what's your reaction when you hear of, of Kobe's passing and like, it's hard, right? Because you have compassion for this person, but you also have a job. So now you're thinking about like, what are we going to do? How am I going to honor this, but also keep the vibe up? Um, so like, what's your first thoughts when you get the news and what's going on?
2: Well, when I first heard, I, I think like everybody, you're like, no way, this is true, right? Like, Oh, TMZ is reporting. You're like, no way. Like that. They, they have to be mistaken. This, like I, a buddy of mine called me first before I heard the news. He's like, Hey, what's up with Kobe? I was like, what are you talking about? um and then the shock sets in and you're like no way you're like you're still it's like still even now I'm like no way that that's real like how is that a real thing that happened um i am very thankful that the nba and the lakers and the clippers all decided to cancel that tuesday game cuz when kobe passed it was on a sunday and we were scheduled to have a home game against the clippers on the following tuesday and that game got canceled. So our first home game was until the following Friday, which I'm very thankful for due to the fact that I don't think there would have been enough time for the Lakers organization to honor Kobe the way they would have wanted to do it. If we had a game on that Tuesday, we would have, and we would have got through it and it would have been great, but not as well done and well executed as it was the following Friday. Um, I will say in all of my years of DJing and DJing sporting events for so long, I've been saying like, Oh, there's nothing. I don't feel like I'm unprepared for anything. Um, It's like something to happen during a game. I've had a fire alarm go off. I've had the building evacuated. Like I said, I've had the audio go out in the middle of the game, all kinds of situations I felt like I was prepared for when we had that first game back. And I knew we were going to be honoring Kobe the whole night. I was not prepared for that. What I, because it was basically a memorial. It was a memorial with a basketball game. Is the only way I know right. how to describe it. That first game back, and so I knew every single song would be potentially critiqued, but only if something stood out to somebody. It's one of those things that if something stood out, then it's going to be an issue. But if nothing stands out as far as, oh, maybe he shouldn't have played that. Then we've got through the night, knowing too that you want to keep it as. As normal-ish for the players as possible, because it's still a, a it's still a game. Then you still want to inter- entertain the fans, but know that you want to honor Kobe at the same time. So literally every single song I played that night, um, I didn't necessarily plan out, but I had the folder of okay, here's the folder of songs you're choosing from tonight. You're not going outside this folder. I listened to every lyric of all the songs in that folder just to make sure there was nothing that, you know, somebody could be like, oh, that was totally inappropriate, even though I. You know, one person hit me up on Twitter, didn't like one song I played, and you know, I, I, I don't lose sleep over that. I, you can't please everybody, right. um, but I went into that game knowing that if somebody had an issue with anything I played, knowing that the songs that I chose came from a place of I think this is appropriate. I try, I did my best of trying to honor the situation and doing still trying to make it as normal of a basketball game for the players, but also realize that it's bigger than the game itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a tough spot because you want to honor and make it appropriate, but you also have to think that a lot of people are coming there to kind of feel better and be around people to get them totally. feeling better. So it's that, that balance of respect for the moment, but also keeping the vibe going and, and trying to get, you know, everyone on the same page. So, so you, you get through that the best that you can. Um, well, first, before we move on to that, was there was there like a lot of discussion, like, "Hey, what are you doing?" Or was it really like, "Hey, we trust you, you know what you're doing," or was it, there, "Hey, let's there, talk about what you're doing."
2: There was a little bit of talk, um, but not as much as I expected, and that's probably because there were so many other moving parts that had to work that night. Like all the things that happened pregame weren't really rehearsed, um, and that is a rare, rare thing for a live event. Um, So they everybody could have been distracted, and it could have been, hey, we trust him. We know he's not going to do anything that he thinks is inappropriate. So we'll just go from there. Um, And the Lakers have always been great about that. Like everybody, you know, I'm all we all have suggestions or like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I did ask questions like, when doors open for the fans, like, do I start playing music right then, or do I wait until? the team officially runs out for warmups. Like there was a little bit of that discussion of like, when's the right time to start playing music? Cause it basically goes from silence in the building to now music is on. Right. Um, so it goes from no one can hear it to, Oh, here's the first song. So like, what's the first song you play? Cause that's what everybody's going to hear. And then eventually it fades into background noise or whatever. But, um, so there were discussions like that, but not, I didn't have to, I didn't submit like, Oh, here are all the songs I'm thinking about playing. Do you guys approve? Um, So I feel like they did trust me or they were just completely distracted by everything else, but it's, everybody was, uh, pleased with how the night went, obviously according to what the circumstances were.
1: So so you get through that, you know, you hope the healing begins and things quote unquote start to get back to as normal as they could be. You know what I mean? Like I, I still imagine it's pretty tough for a lot of people. Um, you're hitting the groove and, all of a sudden you start hearing about this virus, right? Like, it's like I tell everyone, it wasn't really a shock to anyone, but no one realized it was going to happen. You know what I mean? It's like watching that car stalled on the train tracks, you know, there's a high, a high value that that car is going to get hit, but you don't think it is. And then when it does, you're like, Oh God. So like what's going through as, as you start to hear the rumblings and, and what are you thinking?
2: um i i didn't think that it would be shut down or postponed or paused or whatever word you want to use i thought for sure we would be no fans um because it went from we had a meeting on march 10th before we had, the lakers had a home game day. we had a meeting saying like hey you know there's grumblings we're probably gonna go no fans Either the next game or the game after that, we had a Tuesday game, Thursday game, Sunday game. So they're like, maybe Thursday, but probably by Sunday at the latest. So the mentality is, okay, the next thing we know, we're going to, it'll be with no fans, but we're still going to do it like a normal game. We're going to do music. We're going to try to make it as normal for the players as possible, just no fans in here. And then it went, I felt like it went from zero to about 25 miles an hour to 100 miles an hour of, okay, this is all shut down right now. Um, so watching that kind of unfold on TV with the, uh, Utah jazz game, stuff like that, where they cancel the game, like minutes before tip off. That's when, you know, like, that's kind of like when reality sets in like, Oh, this thing is a big deal. And I was in Las Vegas when that happened. Um, so then thinking about, can I get back to LA? Do I need to drive? Can I get on an airplane? Then those kind of things fall into place. But it uh, I'm sure it's tougher on the players because they are more in a groove and then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, pause. And then the discussion of, does the season continue? Do we start with the playoffs? Do we cancel the season? Like those are all things that are above my pay grade and I'm sure change on a daily to hourly basis.
1: Yeah. Like for us um, at the college level, our kids were on spring break and the day before they left um, I said, you might want to just kind of take anything with you of importance Because there's a chance you may not be coming back. Um, And they came back for two days, and then they shut the campus down. And I remember sitting in our meeting, and my AD looks at me, and he's like, you need to take everything out of your office that you're going to need until the end of summer. So like, it's like, we're all getting fired. You know what I mean? Like, we're piling all our our laptops and our recruiting stuff in our folders, and we're kind of walking out of the office. Um, And that was... March, March 29th was the last time we were allowed on campus. Like they've, oh, wow. they've, they've literally posted guards on campus. We can't even go in. Um, if we need something, we have to call security and they go in our office. And we have to FaceTime them and, and say, no, turn left. Okay. I need that folder. And then they bring it out. Wow. Um, it, it's crazy. So I can't imagine like the disruption that you had, but I also feel like, and kind of like you said, with the podcasting and everything else, it's a, it's a pause that you can manage. I think mentally like like not not looking at big financial picture but there's probably a lot of projects that haven't had your attention um so what what have you turned your attention to now with all of this
2: well when it first started for like for two weeks I had no motivation to do anything because I'm always there's always a schedule for me like I'm preparing for this next gig or I'm preparing for that next gig and there was no gig to prepare for so I'm like what what am I supposed to do? Like I'm walking around the house. Like, I don't know. I literally don't know what to do with myself right now. (laughs) So what got me back into the groove was I just started organizing my DJ laptop, um, organizing it more in the folders and putting songs, editing songs, what I need them to do. And that got my motivation going again. And I had a thought of starting a podcast last year where I wanted to talk to not only all the NBA DJs, but all the sports DJs um, just to learn how they got their gigs, like we're talking about right now, how they DJ the events. One, out of my curiosity, but also I get asked that question all the time. How'd you get the Lakers gig? How do you DJ a sporting event? Or like I filmed Joel, who does the organ live at Lakers games on my Instagram page one day. And somebody was like, Oh my God, I didn't know somebody did that. So like, I was like, I'm interested in it. And maybe other people were interested. So I started uh, the beat talks podcast. I'm on episode four episode 5 is coming out already recorded and uh it's for me whether people are listening or not I've enjoyed doing that so that's a project I've been doing um and I have my production team the suicide doors we have not made one bit of new music since this thing happened for some reason I cannot creatively my brain cannot make music right now which you know I'm not beating myself up about I'm like okay it's just you're not in creative mode that's fine but because we're both DJs, we can DJ together as the Suicide Doors. And uh, we did a live stream online music festival, which that kind of got the creative juices going in because that was in April. So that kind of got things going. And then now once a week, I do a DJ Ruchet live stream on Mixcloud called Why Not Wednesdays. And that's, just really, that's really what it is. Like, why not? Like, I have nothing else to do. So let me spin for an hour. And I'm not going to lie. I'm spinning for myself. Right. So if other people like it, great but it's kind of therapeutic for me like hey these are songs i don't get to play as often as i would and they're songs i enjoy so if you enjoy it cool if not that's fine
1: yeah i had to be careful i like to write um poetry um and i had to be careful i didn't want to write a lot during this because i figured it would just all be dark and miserable and so the that that's like the scary side of the creative so what i decided was i am writing six haikus every day okay. since this started um, and my goal is I want to release a book when we're done and just call it the the lockdown daily motivator and have you know one haiku a day you know per day in this book so um, that's been really weird some are you know some are deep and then some yeah. are literally like you know, looking out the window, bird crapped on my car, <laughs> hate the bird. You know what I mean? But, yeah. but that's stupid bird. But when you're locked in for 69 days, it's, that was my entertainment. I got to see a bird fly on my my car, you know what I mean? And, well,
2: I like to, I like seeing like people have been creative to keep themselves motivated and not just from losing their minds. Cause I'm fortunate in a situation where we're able to pay our bills, but there were people who weren't able to pay their bills the first of um, April. And that was two weeks after this thing went down. So, but seeing how resilient some people are and just new projects people are coming up with during this, like you said, like the haiku thing, or, you know, like I'll have good days and bad days and the bad days, like, I'm like, okay, today's a bad day. And I'll, I'll acknowledge that and accept that in myself. And then tomorrow's going to be a better day. Or, you know, you, I'm taking joy. And like you said, just seeing the bird fly by your window and crap on your car. Like, why not?
1: So when we did the timeline, I purposely left out a pretty... Major milestone. Okay. Um, uh, other
2: than winning gold medals as a sitting volleyball player, back um, to back, right? Still Uh, reigning back to back (laughs) champions. By the way, for everybody else that uh, wasn't happy about that, they can suck on it.
1: Right. How how many times you get a podcast with two back to back gold medalists? That's right. Right. Um, Olympics. Yeah. How does that? I mean, I assume that that flows in because of the AVP. Um, but is it, was it you reaching out to them? Did they reach out to you? Like how, how do you end up being in Rio?
2: So years before that, when the Olympics were in Vancouver, I was like, Oh, I want to do that. I want to have that on my resume. And then I, I didn't get any gigs in Vancouver. And then I got to the point where I had enough stuff on my resume where I was like, oh, the Olympics wasn't a goal of mine. Even in London, um, I was with the ABP and all that stuff. And like if they asked, I would be like, yeah, sure. But it wasn't a goal of mine to do that. And then when Rio came around, I thought to him, I was like, yeah, DJing beach volleyball in Rio on Copacabana beach, that would be really cool. And so the production, my producer of the ABP Kelly Reed, I don't know if you know her. Um, she got hired by the FIVB to help them, you know, kind of revamp their game entertainment. And At the Olympics, the FIVB is kind of in charge of volleyball, where that's not the same for all other sports. Like the governing body outside the Olympics doesn't usually get to be in charge of their sport at the Olympics. But the FIVB was, and they needed multiple DJs. And because Kelly had the relationship with the FIVB, she's like, hey, would you be interested? I was like, absolutely, I would be interested in going to the Olympics. Just to say that I did it, right? Like looking back, I didn't get a lot of sleep. I, uh, it was, it was a lot of work, which I'm not complaining, but it's just, there's a lot more that goes on to than it just being a party that everybody sees. Um, so I think with all the work that you do, and I'll be completely honest, it might be cooler to say you did it than actually doing it. But to be able to say that I DJed in Rio, like London would have been cool to say, Beijing would have been cool to say I did it. But for some reason, Rio and how important volleyball is in that community And in that country was a really amazing experience to be able to say I was a part of.
1: Yeah. As someone that deals on the other side of the FIVB, I can tell you that it feels like everything with them, it then bogs you down. Like, I don't want to say it in a bad way, but like you said about everyone thinks about the party and all that. I mean, that's the way it is coaching with them too. Like you're like, oh man, I'm coaching the FIVB event, but it's really just you're bogged down with technicals and the manuals that they give you and the meetings you have to go to that it does kind of suck the fun out of it.
2: There's also, and it's not, this isn't even, this is sport and all event specific. Everybody thinks their event is going to be a raging party the entire time. So they want, as soon as you walk in the door to be at a 10, and be at a 10 the entire time. I'm like, you can't, you can't do that. Like, for an eight-hour event, for a one-hour event, like, I can't hit you hard the entire time. In the FIVB, at the, especially at the Olympics, they're like, we want this to be a raging party the entire time. If you give me the fans in the match are at a 10, I will be at a 10, no problem. But when it's 10 o'clock in the morning and it's 95 degrees outside and the stadium is half full and the match sucks, there's right. only so much parting that people are going to be willing to do. And if I'm at a 10 and the fans are at a two, they'll turn on me, not me personally, but they'll turn on the entertainment and be like, why, why are you guys forcing this? Um, so I, I understand where like marketing people or people on the outside, like, oh, if there's silence, like, oh, everybody's bored. It's like, no, they're not bored where everybody's here for the volleyball or for the basketball or for the bride and groom or whatever. So the entertainment's job to me is to complement all of that. And if you force it, it, it looks forced right now, fortunately in Rio, if I played a song with a decent beat, everybody in the stands would dance along and clap. So I felt like I was the greatest DJ of all time. (laughs) Right. But I could, you know, I go somewhere else and play that same stuff. It's not going to get the same exact reaction. So Rio, you know, you put, like I said, you put on a decent song and you're the greatest DJ ever. Were you on tap for Tokyo? I was. Um, and they had to, not just me, but they took back everybody's offer letter just because they don't know what the situation's going to be next year. So now technically I'm not going to Tokyo at the moment I was before that. Um, and I didn't know, like, I, I've had the conversation of, wow, Rio was, it was on the beach, it was in Copacabana, like, you're not gonna be able to replicate that situation, and then uh, people were like, yeah, but it's the Olympics, and I was like, oh, yeah, you're right, it is, so <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I get to go, I'd love to, I've never been to uh, Japan, so I would love to go. So, let's wrap up with the cheesy, um,
1: the cheesy moment. You, you have the Olympics, you have the Lake Show, you have the AVP, you have, God knows what, 12, Pac-10, Pac-12. <laughs> you've probably done both, right? Pac-10 yeah, and 12 yeah, yep. right? Yep. Um, that's how old I am. NCAA, volleyball championships, everything else. What? What's probably your top three professional moments for you?
2: Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, but, I mean, know, to
1: there's s- there's probably some club gigs in there, right? Like, There's probably some venues in L.A. that you might have played at
2: the Olympics is a really cool thing just because it's not something that everybody has the opportunity to do. Right. Um, Having the Lakers on my resume and DJing for the best player on the planet. Every home game is like every once in a while, like I'm pretty good at being in the moment and not letting it overwhelm me. And every once in a while I'm like, Hey, that's LeBron James that you're getting to play music for out there. And the crowd's losing their mind. Like, those are really cool things that, I appreciate and don't take for granted in the moment. Um, Rio was cool. Uh, it was a, I made sure I walked to the venue every day because once I was in the venue, it just felt like a normal FIVB event. You know, I could only see a certain amount of people from my booth. So I always like to kind of be in the moment. I do remember other than sporting events, there was a event I did in Turks and Caicos where it was the white party, so everybody was wearing white. I was undercovering because there was a threat of rain, and I told them, I was like, if it starts to rain and the wind blows in on me and my equipment starts to get wet, I have to stop. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. It didn't. I didn't get one drop of rain on me, and it was like a light mist, and people partied for four. I couldn't, have, I couldn't play the wrong song. Every time I played a song, I was like, wow, this was the perfect song for this moment. Okay, the party will end soon. Nope, the next song is the perfect song. No, the next song is the perfect song. And people were like, man, I was trying to leave two hours ago, but you kept playing, and it was just like everything just clicked. Everybody was in such a good mood. The rain kind of cooled everybody off, and it wasn't so annoying where you had to leave, and the you were outside. like that is a, That's a moment that always sticks in my mind um, when people ask me that question. I'm sure there's some others that I can't think of. I had a moment that if I was able to take a photo of and put it on social media, I would be one of the biggest DJs of all time. But I was doing a private event for Interscope Records, and there was probably 40 people at this event, and I'm in the DJ booth, and in front of me is Dr. Dre, Will I Am, Timberland, and Pharrell. And the four of them are discussing music that they are working on and handing me CDs of the music they're working on to play so they could the others could hear it and talk about it. And I'm all I'm thinking about the entire time is what is my facial expression right now because that's Dr. Dre, Will I Am, Timberland, and Pharrell in front of me, and like all I want to do is be BFS with all of them and sit in the studio with them while they're making music. But I can't. I need to look professional and pretend like I'm not overwhelmed by this moment. Uh, but that was a pretty overwhelming moment. And um, another event, just because I think it's funny. It's not like it's a top event, but it's Dr. Dre yelled at me. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't like hearing his voice, and so. Uh-huh. I thought I was doing something cool. I was playing Express Yourself, the original, and I was going to mix it into NWA's Express Yourself, trying to show off for Dre. I was like, oh, he's going to like this. And as soon as his voice came on, he's like, not yelling at me like angry, but like, no, no. like He doesn't want to hear his voice at all whatsoever. And my buddy who was there was laughing at me. He's like, hey, remember that time that Dr. Dre yelled at you? (laughs) So there's moments like that. Uh, Oprah Winfrey gave me a high five at event. Paul McCartney, who was a Beatle, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) Thank those that don't know yeah, thank me for playing a song that his wife requested like those are those are just cool things that I know that not everybody gets to experience and I got to experience, and that uh I get to write that in my journal and uh in my book about life when I get towards the end of it
1: <laughs> yeah, back in the day um when I was you know we have a, the Hers- hershey park stadium is it's now the giant center for those east Coast people, but it, it's a pretty big concert venue. Like that's where everyone comes in and the city of Harrisburg kind of sits on the edge of it. So everyone stays in Harrisburg, but travels the 10 minutes to Hershey. Um, and I used to DJ at a bar right on the river. And, and on Sunday nights, it was really the only bar to go to. And Nappy Roots were playing and they came in and they insisted, I must've played that whole album so they were like the complete opposite of your Dre story. It was like, yo, you need to play our song. <laughs> I need to play this play song. That. Yeah, and you know what mixes in well to this? I'm like, okay, I got
2: this. Like, <laughs> like, do you guys just want to come back here or?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, there's the stage. You know, I'll just shut down, and you guys go ahead and you know. How about you guys it?
2: just perform it live,
1: and I don't have to play it? How about that? Um, okay, so lastly, is what's the next ten years for you?
2: Well, hope uh, my goal is. Uh, was before this, I might have to reevaluate a little bit. Was to tour the world as the Suicide Doors, playing our own original music, um, DJing as the Suicide Doors. The DJ producer world has kind of blended um, in the last 10 years or so, and producing is something like looking back, I felt like I've always wanted to do. And now Doing that and because we're DJs, we were DJs first, I was like, we could perform live as well. So we have live instrumentation with us. We have a saxophone player or a violinist and a conga drummer with us during our DJ sets. Um, So I would love to tour the world, being able to play music that I created. Um, Our plan this year was to put out a song, a single every single month. And we had done that all the way through March, starting last November. And this kind of uh, put a pause on that for right now, um, which is fine. But we'll start that back up again once it feels right. To, to do that, but I, I'm hoping in 10 years either I'm retired because we've made so much money touring the world as the Suicide Doors, or I'm still touring or still producing. Like, I still feel like I'll be involved in music some way or another until I die. Like, whether it's professionally, just for fun, and if people don't get to hear it, that's fine. I still feel like I'll be doing that regardless.
1: If, if all things were equal, if I came to you, if same amount of money, same amount of time, let's say six months, tour the world, for six months or residency in vegas for six months does the tour Uh, in the world win out every time
2: yeah and oh and only because um vegas like as, as much fun as vegas is and i've dj'd uh pool parties and stuff there and other events is great vegas is more of a it's a tourist town so you have to play the music that they've heard right right so like there i'm i'm the hey can you play this song, I have to play Request. We're the Suicide Doors. We don't have to play Request because we're the artists. So being able to tour the world, um, I've been on stages before where like, you're the featured artist and like that kind of rush is not something that you can duplicate. So uh, I would love to experience that with my friends who, my production partner, Tim Hampton, and then uh, Cam and Laura who do the live shows with us. Like, being able to experience that with them and travel the world, I think would be awesome. Um, I'm trying to think of...
1: Uh, Movement. It's the Movement Music Festival in Michigan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, our nationals were adult nationals were there years ago um, before the sitting stuff was taken off. But our hotel overlooked main stage. So I got to go to bed one night to snoop nice. and then like woke up to Oakenfold. You know what I mean? Oh. Like it was just um, uh, I think that'd be pretty amazing. Like touring around doing festivals would probably be pretty. Pretty amazing.
2: The when I've been to shows and I perform at smaller shows, but when I've been to shows where I see a crowd of one thousand to ten thousand people moving in unison or singing the words to the song that's being performed on stage, like I get goosebumps for the artist, knowing that what an amazing feeling that is. Um and I would love to know that even more than I already do. Like, right, I've, I've DJed events where people are chanting my name or singing along to the songs that I'm spinning. But to do it in a way where it's like a song that I had part in making I'm, it would just be next level. Awesome. All right, you want to
1: pump all your uh, social media and everything Absolutely. you've got?
2: Yeah, uh, everything is at DJ Ruscha. My website's DJ Ruscha. All my social media is DJ Ruscha. The new things that I have going on right now, like I said, is the Beat Talks podcast. Like you can go to beattalks.com. Check it out or anywhere you listen to podcasts, that's there. And uh, The Suicide Doors, thesuicidedoors.com, more information there. And then every Wednesday, why not Wednesdays? Uh, my live stream on Mixcloud, but you can just follow me on social media and the links will always pop up there. And I think that's all I got.
1: Awesome. Well, I thank you for this trip and journey. Um, my, my whole goal has been talking to people that have become really good at what they do and and not not deep diving into the okay how many hours do you practice but yeah. more about like we all have those moments right you, you had to wake up that day in virginia and say i'm going to california and you had to wake up that day and say you know what i'm going to move one office over at the staples center you know and and things like that so um it's awesome and, and i thought of you right away because of of all the different things you've done and i was really personally really curious about how they all just come up you know it was just someone just slip you a card and hey call me and i got this gig for you or is it you like really wanting to do it so um i appreciate it again this has been the mental cast with world famous mvp all-star there and, perfect That's and two time on the business card two time back-to-back sitting volleyball national champion dj roche one of my proudest moments not gonna lie to you <laughs> and um where are we at next year uh, then I I posted it and now I forget. Is it De- not Detroit? Where are we? Man, I, I can't remember. I can't
2: remember either. It doesn't yeah. matter. Well, I mean, well, hopefully, gold, like Goldberg, we're, gold. we're the whole team's back together, and uh, we'll go for yeah. a threepeat, MJ style.
1: Awesome. Again, thanks everyone listening to the Melcast. I'm Dan Michael. This was Jeremy Rocher, our special guest, and we will talk to you and see everyone on the next episode. Thank you and
0: peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy and hosted by Dan Mickle. You can always reach the show on all social media platforms at the username at RealDanMickle or via the show's website at danmickle.com. Don't forget to check out our title sponsor, Soul Performance Academy, at the username at 717-SOUL and on their website 717soul.com. We hope you can join us for our next episode.